know what controls me. <laughs> Your people are very smooth. They are. Mm -hmm, yeah. That is great. Nice entrance. Thank you. Mm -hmm. How are you doing fun. today? Well, thank you. Guess what? It doesn't happen every week. Probably not more than once a month. But Dr. Peget has a new invention. <laughs> it doesn't happen every week. No, yeah. it doesn't. She has a new invention in the social emotional category. Mm -hmm. And I think we should start right off today having her tell it. You want to hear about it? Just like that boom? Yeah. Just, just, what, you want a little time to get into it? Okay. No, I Let's don't. Let's give her a little time. <laughs> okay. Okay, it's your turn. Here we go. My new invention. Yeah, here it is. Yes, I thought we were going to wait for that new class coming out. But. Okay, we'll save this. <laughs> no. <laughs> so my new invention is a... Um, she wasn't expecting no. this, can you tell? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a life team. You invented a life team. I invented a life team. Don't know more. Sure glad it wasn't a death team. Oh my God. <laughs> no, I want to know more. Yeah, what's a life team? So a life team is, there are rules to being on a life team. Mm -hmm. And it's a team that each one of us has, up to 12 people. And within that team are the people who really help you succeed in life. The relationships that are you that you are really close to, because we all need relationships. So these are your support people. Yeah, and you're and you're theirs hopefully, but you get to choose who's on your team. That's the thing. So can you choose anybody you want? Yeah, of course. Can yeah. we choose you? <laughs> I hope so. yes. You can choose me. Can you be on more than one person's life team? Yeah, I can. Well, I don't want to rush into it. Give me some time <laughs> to think about it. <laughs> so on that team, you know, when you're doing really well and you're being really successful, that those team members, you know, keep you a little bit humble. And when you really need to pick me up, they, they're there for you. And, and the other side of that is you're there for them. You know, um, we really need some kind of a support system. We do to really do the great things we want to do in our lives. And I love this idea. Yeah. So are you going to be filming a new course and telling us about it? I am. <laughs> we got her. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> that, that is was... an on-camera commitment. Okay. Well, I'm yeah. excited. I'm going to do it. I'm excited. Life You're team. doing a lot of good things. And I think a lot of us feel like we really have been uplifted and inspired mm. by you. I know at least one real fan that you have, but unfortunately, is he's he missing. Is he missing? Yeah. Is that 51? Yeah. He's still missing? He hasn't come home yet? Well, they signed this darn petition and got him out of Area 51. I heard that maybe somebody hey. saw him again. Well, he was over at the Eiffel. What? Finally. <laughs> Finally is spring. Isn't this wonderful? Can you see the beautiful flowers? It is, it is so beautiful. What? What'd you say? Oh, yeah. Those are smoky chimneys, huh? Oh, well, spring will come. 
Can you see the beautiful flowers? He needs some. He has an imagination, doesn't There's he? There's something wrong with him. He if I've said it once, yeah. He's like AI. Okay, well, that's great. And I'm grateful that you're going to bring out these new ideas. We need things like life support teams. And it's, you know, if, if we get hooked up so that we're helping each other, we can do really great things. Yeah. I'll never look at the um, Golden Gate Bridge the same again, because now I see the optimism curve up here and down here and then up here. <laughs> it is really a major, major feat. Yeah. You know, that little narrow opening where the ocean comes through to that big bay, and, and I think most of you know that big bay means a big lake. Uh-huh. It's called a bay because it's connected to the ocean. <clears throat> but underneath that bridge, it's very deep, and there are huge currents. It's like a big river flowing, and it's a direction, a, a river that flows both directions. It comes flowing in, and then it goes flowing out because it goes with the tides. You have that little narrow opening, and you have this great big lake back here. And so when the tide comes in, an enormous amount of water has to flow in to fill that whole bay. And the whole bay height goes up. And then when the tide goes out, the whole bay has to go down. So you've got a river out and a river in, and it's just a, it's, it's an amazing feat. And, and 100 miles... If you can't go over the bridge, you gotta go around. And in the days that they built this thing, there were no freeways. And so you could do maybe 30 miles an hour in the brand new automobiles of the day, but then you had lights and cities and things, so it was probably an all-day drive just to get around to the other side. And now it's just a couple minutes to drive across. It's a beautiful bridge. I love the Golden Gate Bridge. It's a, a tremendous inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. And when people do things like that that are seemingly impossible, I don't know, it just really gets you going. And you want to do things that are really impossible too, don't you? Yes. Yeah, it's exciting. That's why we have Science Live. That's why we have Acellus, is so that we can be empowered to do the big, neat things that we want to do. And the best part is, what do you do? It's up to you. You get to choose. Well, I choose you to be on my life team. <laughs> no, yeah. right now I'm not taking any. Oh, oh. Ooh, see, that, see that attitude right there? That's not what we're talking I'm about. I'm going to go watch that social lesson three times and then I'll answer. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, so you, you told me that we're, we're still getting quite a few questions from our, our students mm-hmm. saying that they're having a hard time figuring out what to do for a science fair project. Yeah. How do you figure it out? They don't, they just Well, don't. I think it's wonderful they're thinking about it. I'm yeah. sorry they're frustrated, <laughs> but it's wonderful they're thinking about it because that's the first step mm-hmm. is to decide you're gonna do one. I, I'd like to kind of show you though that um, it's not as hard to find a project as you think it is. And if we could, what if we could accomplish that in this session? We could finish up at the end of our hour and everyone knows how to do that and can do it successfully. Because we have February, March, and April, right? Yeah. There's a, a science fair, a national science fair, that we are going to be recommending all of our winners this year to. Wow. 
And this National Science Fair uh, has about 2,000 entries nationwide, but they're going to be giving a $25,000 prize to every finalist, and to the winner, they're going to give a $250,000 prize. Wow. So the stakes went up. That's big. And it even gets better. Really? Yeah. Because I'm inventing the R Special Award for the Science Fair. I'm going to have an award, it's a surprise award, for one amazing Science Fair entry this year. So it's going to be the Dr. R Science Fair Award. Yeah, and I'm going to judge it. Oh, yeah? And I'm going to be looking for the criteria. And I'm going to tell you what the criteria are so that you know you can focus on that. And I think most of the judging is going to be on that criteria. I'm going to look to see if you have a project that is original and clever and interesting, something that is really advancing science and advancing your knowledge and ability to use science. We'll be talking a little oh, bit neat. more about that. But uh, I wonder if we can now help students see how to choose a science fair project, okay? Okay. Rule number one, out of all the things that you could do, of which there are millions and billions, you need to make sure that the project you choose is something that you're passionately interested in. Mm, I like that. Yeah, it's gotta be something that you're really passionately interested in. Now we have a pretty good crew here today uh, can we get an audience shot just to see how these, how good they, come on you guys, straighten up. smile. Here we are. All right, let's, mm. let's go back and forth and look at all these great people. Zoom out, I want to see everybody. Yeah, zoom out and swing across, there you go. So this is the Science Live Auditorium here, also called, what do we name this lecture hall? Oh, goodness. <laughs> The William P. Lear Lecture Hall. It's the William P. Lear Lecture Hall. <laughs> Thank you. I agree. Okay. So I'd like to ask someone in the audience to help us out here just to really make this a genuine, real experience. And I don't want anybody that planned this with me. All of those that I told you what to say, which, by the way, I didn't tell anybody. Just but, me. But you can't say. It's got to be someone that's just thinking originally from your own heart. And you have to start with your heart. So I want you to think about something that you're passionate about. And I'd like it to be an object, some object. It could be a living animal, could be a plant, a fruit, a tree, a flower. It could be a rock. It could be a hammer, it could be an object could be a shoe, a boot, could be... A piano. <laughs> anything but a piano. Oh, okay. okay. So, who, let, let's get the audience shot on here again. I need someone to just raise your hand and tell us that you're passionate about an object. Tell us what it is. Okay, right over here. Can everybody see? Marcy? A prism. A prism. A prism is where you go if you get convicted oh. of a crime. 
I thought you said prism. Prism, oh yeah. The other kind of prism. <laughs> a prism is one of those things that bends light. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay? So a prism is a piece of transparent material, like glass, shaped in a triangle. It's got length. And as light comes through, the light is bent and comes out like a kind of like a mirror in that it takes the light coming in and shoots it out another angle. But what is the magical property of a prism, Marcy? It splits light into different colors, different shapes. And yeah, so it bends the light, but <laughs> it bends every color of light or every frequency of light differently. So white light, for example, coming in from the sun hits the prism and then it bends out in a rainbow. And you can see all the colors that are in the original light. So <clears throat> she has selected the object of a rainbow. Come on. Prism. <laughs> I'm being nice. You're being so critical. <laughs> <Okay>. oh. <laughs> a rainbow maker or a prism. Oh, okay. So now. That's got to be something that she's passionate about because that was the, the rule of what she was supposed to select. Okay. So she's passionate about prisms. Let's suppose that you are passionate about prisms and so you decide, I'm going to do my science fair project about prisms. So what kind of a science fair project could we do with a prism? And by the way, Prisms are a lot of fun. If you haven't ever experimented with one, you should. They're easy to get your hands on, and they are really neat. Did you know that if you put a prism in sunlight, you get a full rainbow? You get all the colors. They're always in the same order. They're very rich, beautiful colors. But certain kind of lights, artificial lights, when you shine them on a prism, you only get some of the colors because those sources don't create the other ones. Like, it's interesting, there's a, a light bulb that used to be very popular before LEDs, and is still quite popular in outdoor lighting. It's called a high-pressure sodium light. And the nice thing about high-pressure sodium is they were quite a bit more efficient than, say, an incandescent bulb, but they did have one property, and that was the light they put out was really yellow. If you've seen a big yellow light around a warehouse or something, it might be high-pressure sodium. Now, one advantage of yellow lights is some people say they attract less bugs. So that might be neat. But if you took a high-pressure sodium light bulb and shined that light through a prism, would you get the same rainbow you get from the sun? And why? And now, all of a sudden, we have a question, would the light coming out of a high-pressure sodium bulb, which is yellow, be the same kind of light that comes from the sun? And since a prism dissects the light, it spreads it out so you can see what's there, you can tell exactly what colors of light are making up that yellow. And it's interesting because my hypothesis is that if you did a high-pressure sodium bulb, 
it would give you the same rainbow, but some of the colors would be missing. Let's take a look at this, the shot that Tina just found. So here is a thing of a prism showing how it breaks out the rainbow, and you see those colors. Well, what if the blue and the, and the red colors were missing? Then that would mean that that light source didn't produce those colors because if it did, they would split it out. We'd be able to see it. So we could do a science fair project to see which colors of light a prism, I mean, are, are coming from an artificial light compared to the sun. Now, let me just kind of brainstorm with you because I, I want to get your creative juices flowing here, okay? So a prism is like a science research tool. It's like a microscope of studying colors of light. And you don't magnify and look at it, you just shoot it out in a, on a dark piece of paper or wall, something so you can see it. But it allows you to see what's inside the light, what colors are there, by spreading them out so you can see them. And while you can see what's there, you can see what's missing. Okay, so here is a very good hypothesis question. We know that sunshine grows plants. And it grows them well, thank goodness, because we all have food to eat because of the sun making plants grow. So what if we wanted to start a business of growing plants indoors? So we could grow them in the winter and, and we could have longer growing days in the, in the winter when the days are short. So we're gonna use artificial lights to grow plants. If we look at sunlight coming in, hitting a prism, and we look at all the colors, we can know exactly what formulas, what combination of colors work well for growing plants. Then we could take an artificial bulb, like a high-pressure sodium, or a metal halide, which is another kind, a little wider, and we could see what colors it has. And the bulb that would have the colors, like the sun, we know would make things grow well. But it, would a bulb that didn't have all of those colors grow as well? Now scientists have discovered that for photosynthesis, you need to have certain colors of light. Plants need them, and different plants even have slightly different needs of light. And so some of the grow lights, especially the LED grow lights, will put out colors that are not white. They're red, they're blue, and they put those over plants, and they grow faster for the amount of light than if it was white light, because some colors don't really help plants grow. So you could do all kinds of projects studying light just because you have a prism. And you, you have another very interesting thing you can do. If you can find a place where you can get a good deal on a prism, and boy, you can find them easy. Almost anywhere you shop, you can get a little prism. Well, save up, shine a few more shoes. That's how I used to do my experiments. <laughs> yeah. I would go shine shoes so I could get some dimes. That's what I charged was a dime. And you know, one year I was working on a 
little science project. I needed some supplies. And so I went out to the neighbor and said, Hi, do you have any shoes you'd like, Shine? Door to door. I know. My poor neighbors. <laughs> and uh, some of them did, and I shined them up good and took them back. And then I realized I still don't have enough money. So I asked, can I go see Grandma? So I went to Grandma's house. And I says, Grandma, do you think your neighbors would like, have any shoes they'd like shine? <laughs> and so she said, oh, well, they might. And I said, OK, if I go ask them? <laughs> OK. Hi, I'm Liz, grandson. <laughs> and I just wonder if you have any shoes you want shined. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes, I'll bring them right back. It's 10 cents a pair. And I took them back to Grandma's house, and I shined them up. And when I got all done, all of the scuff marks and that were gone because I put polish on them, you know, and I did a real good job. I was pretty young. And they didn't, they weren't shiny. And you know, you have that little brush, you brush them and they shine. And I brushed them. And Grandma saw those shoes. She says, No, you can't take them back to my neighbors like that. <laughs> so Grandma's down there with the brush. And what I learned from her, and it's, it's treasure knowledge to mm -hmm. the stake. Can you imagine this brush being a shoe? Oh, so it's really useful. Use knowledge. your imagination. Okay, so I got this it. is a shoe. Uh -huh. And you put the, sham the, excuse me, the shoe polish all over the shoe. Uh -huh. Then you get the little brush and you brush it, right, to make mm -hmm. it shine. Well, I go like this. And she says, No, no. You've got to do long strokes. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And when you do long strokes, it starts to really shine. Mine was all covered, but it, it was all dull. But these long strokes made it shine. You know, as I've grown older and older, and I keep making these long strokes on my shoes, I wonder why? Why do long strokes make it shine? And eventually I got a theory, a hypothesis, and that is. When you're going long strokes with the brush, out here it's drying out the polish, and it's drying it out here, and you gotta get it dry to make it shine. But I took them back, I got the money, and then I could go buy my stuff. Well, what if you shine more shoes and get two prisms? What could you do with two prisms? With one prism, you put it in a window in a darkened room so the sun's coming in, it hits the prism, the prism breaks it out into a rainbow. But what would happen if you put the second prism in the rainbow? Could you put it back together and make white light? Could you? That's a science fair project. Because you're thinking, I wonder if I could do that. Could I do it? I'm thinking maybe I could, and we call that a hypothesis, or an idea. I, th I think maybe it would go back together. If it comes apart, it would be an interesting thing to try. And so then you get two prisms. You shine a lot of shoes. It makes your neighbors happy if you do a good job. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you get into the experimenting, that's when you start getting other ideas. You don't figure it all out up front. You figure out the first step. And research is a process. That's why you want to give yourself a little time. And the more you do, the more you learn, the more you can do. And of course, a brilliant scientist 
does not want to waste their time on earth inventing what people have already invented. We want to push the knowledge of mankind forward yeah. into new realms. So we start out by getting on the internet and reading all about what other people have learned. It's much quicker to read what they did and what they learned as a starting point because then that'll help you do your experiment better. Okay, so she came up with an object she's passionate about and she was trying to make it easy for me because she kind of figured out where I was going, didn't she? So she said, oh, he needs something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it. Let, let's try one more, only this time, let's get someone that's not so nice. I mean, make, let, let's, let's get some object that's really, really hard to turn into a science fair project. And I'll give it my best shot, see if I can turn it into one, and if I can't, then Peugeot will. <laughs> right? Yeah, we, okay. we have a question, though, first. Okay, we have a question first. Yes, as long as we're still in prisms. So we have a student in Kansas mm -hmm. who wants to know if um, you put ultraviolet light through a prism, would it be refracted into visible light? Mm-hmm. Well, what a prism does is it bends the light. Ultraviolet is virtually a color of light. It's a frequency. So what it will do is bend it. Now, it, it turns out that ultraviolet light we can't see. Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't be able to see it. But it turns out that there is short wave UV and then there's long wave UV. Shortwave UV is germicidal. It will uh, destroy the DNA in microorganisms like bacteria, so they use it as a germicidal light. And you have to be very careful with shortwave UV because it could burn your skin or hurt your eyes. So if you really have shortwave UV, you need to be very, very careful. But it doesn't shift the color. What it does is it bends each color differently so it spreads them out so you can see what's there. It doesn't change the color. Now there are things that do change the color. For example, fluorescent material. If you take a fluorescent light bulb, it is a tube that has a little bit of mercury in it that vaporizes and gives off UV light. And around the outside is a white coating. And that white coating is fluorescent. That's why they call it fluorescent light, which means when UV light hits it, it excites the atoms, pushes the electrons out, and as they fall down, they give off white light. So if you take a UV light and stick a fluorescent tube in front of it, not even hooked up to electricity, just stick it in front, it glows in the dark. But a prism, on the other hand, doesn't change the color, doesn't change the frequency, it just spreads out the colors that are there so you can see them one by one by one. Okay? Okay. Thank you. All right. Are you ready now yes, for ready. The, the challenging object, an object that cannot be easily made into a science fair project? <laughs> Who should we call on? Who's it going to be? Oh, Cindy. Okay. Cindy. How about Cindy? Right down there. Let's see who Cindy is. Come on. There she is. Cindy, will you please wave at the world? <laughs> okay, there are 12 million people watching you. Are you nervous? 
Okay, good. What is your object? A violin. A violin. Are you passionate about the violin? Okay, so that's a good choice. So how do you make a science fair project out of a violin? This is the one Peugeot wanted to go first on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I said the piano. That oh, was a no-go. So. Oh, that's good. Well, there are so many things you could do with a violin. And I, I hope you're starting to get the idea here of how you can come up with projects because it really isn't hard. <coughs> All you have to do is think about something you wonder about, okay? They say, you ever heard that before? They oh, yeah. say. Whenever she says, they say, I say, who says? <laughs> I don't say they say anymore. I don't want to hear they. I want to know who it is. I tell you who says and where it's from yeah, first. If, if she comes and tells well, they say that if you take this vitamin, you're going to be, who says that? Okay, well, they say. Whenever someone says, they say, that's a science fair project waiting to happen. Okay, and I'll show you what I mean. They say that practice makes perfect. Have you ever heard that? Yes. Well, is it true? I don't know who they are, but we can find out whether or not it's true. So we make a science fair project. Okay. We get a violin, and we practice every day, and then we come up with a way of measuring how well we do. And if we get better with this practice, then they are right. <laughs> Practice does make perfect. Okay, there's a project. But to be able to tell whether or not you play better, you have to come up with some way to measure how good you play. Mm -hmm. So maybe you would play arpeggios, and you pay them as fast as you can without making a mistake. And you can measure how fast, and you can see how many mistakes. That'd be a way to do it. Measurement is a real key to science. Mm -hmm. Measurement. And has anyone heard of a, of a thing called a kilogram? Mm -hmm. A kilogram is a thousand grams. And what is the definition of a kilogram? Well, I think originally it was supposed to be the amount of water that fits in a cube 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters. That amount of water is a kilogram. Well, it turns out that if the water is warm, it expands. If it's cold, it contracts. So the weight could change. So it's not a very good way scientifically to decide what a kilogram is. So guess what scientists did to solve that problem? So we really know precisely what a kilogram is. They got a weight over in France, and they said, that is the official kilogram weight. They put it in the laboratory. And if you wanted to make a weight that you thought was a kilogram, you'd go over to France and put on a balance. And if yours was a little bit too heavy, you could file a little bit off until it would balance perfect. Then you had a kilogram weight you could take home. Okay. And for the longest time, that's how we knew what a kilogram was. Now, we do something more interesting. 
Now we define the weight of a kilogram more accurately by looking at quantum phenomena, quantum which is phenomena. really neat. It's like, what time is it? That's the measurement we have to take. Well, the real time on planet Earth is now measured by atomic clocks. Mm. And that's another really interesting subject. But coming back to our violin, so does practice make perfect? That's a thing we could do. We could also do a project with a violin to study the notes that sound good together, like a chord. A violin has how many strings, Cindy? Four. Four strings. And you can actually play a couple strings at the same time. And you change the notes by pinching the strings to shorter and longer lengths to get the pitch you want. Well, sometimes you'll play two strings at once and they sound real good together. Sometimes you play two strings at once and they sound like a space age invasion from <laughs> alien planets. <laughs> why? Why do some sound right and why do some sound good? So for a more advanced project, you could get a microphone hook it up to an oscilloscope, which lets you see the waves and see their frequencies, and you could measure those two waves, the ones that sound good, and then you can measure two notes that sound bad, like maybe two notes a half step apart, and you could then see what the frequencies are and see if you can figure out why do some sound good and why do some sound bad. And I hope you can see from this example that there's all kinds of things you could do with a violin to be able to advance the science of music. Uh, music is wonderful, it's relaxing, and yet the only way that violins are able to make music is because every violin that's ever been made before it's shipped to the customer is studies physics <laughs> and learns how to vibrate at a resonant frequency for how tight it is. And so violins are just four strings of physics right there playing music. It's a wonderful thing. So, um, Cindy, can you think of a project you could do with a violin for a science fair project? You like the violin? Do you think you'd, you'd like to do a project with the violin? Well, maybe you will. I challenge you to, to think about that. It would really be a special thing to do. My point, though, is if you're gonna do a science fair project, rule number one, start with something you're passionate about. Then it's fun. If you love the violin, then your project ought to be about a violin. Uh, I'm gonna just throw you one other idea of a violin project. Uh, does everybody know what a tuning fork is? Mm -hmm. It's a funny thing, looks like a fork, and when you hit it, it hums. Boo! Right? It vibrates, <laughs> and you can hear it up close to your ear. Well, tuning forks vibrate at a specific frequency, and they actually tune them either by grinding on them or some of them have a little adjustable weight, so they're just the right weight to get just the right pitch. And boom, some people 
used to tune pianos using mm -hmm. tuning forks. And some people would tune orchestras using tuning forks. Well, tuning forks always give that tone because they're made just the right length of a stiffness of material so that it vibrates at the frequency they want it to. But if you could get a tuning fork and tap it so that it's singing to you, and then with your violin, try to find that same note or get real close to it, then when the tuning fork stops vibrating, do you think that if you could play that same note, that it would make the tuning fork start vibrating again? Could you play a violin and make the tuning fork vibrate? My hypothesis says, since it's the right frequency, you could. And how's that work? The sound's coming out from your violin, and it's at just the right frequency, so it's pushing the fork, at just the right time, so it starts vibrating bigger. It's like pushing a swing. If someone's in a swing and you, they say, can you give me a push? They don't say that to me anymore. They <laughs> used to say, can you give me a push? And I go over, I used to be a little bit of a tease. And so every time the, the, the swing would come toward me, I'd stop it. And, and they said, no, that's not like that. I thought you wanted to push. You have to push when it's up here and you push down and mm -hmm. you wait and you push down. The same if you're, if you're pumping with your legs, right? Yeah. Well, if you have the right frequency for that tuning fork, you might be able to make it sing without even touching it and you'll be able to hear it. So there's a lot of experiments you can do with a violin or with a prism or with a piano. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. At any rate, science is fun. And my flavor, my favorite flavor of ice cream is chocolate. My favorite flavor of science is inventioneering. Mm. The science of putting science to work to make this world better for everyone. And so I really like science fair projects where you get into something you're very passionate about and you're looking for ways to respect and appreciate the th inventions that others that have gone before have made to make your world better. And then you look for an opportunity of something you can do to make it better. And wouldn't that be interesting? Another project I could do with violins is I could look to see if there's some substance I could discover that would work better than rosin on the bow. When you get a brand new violin, it won't play. You have to take the rosin and, and you have to go back and forth for a long time to get enough on there for it to play. Well, maybe there's something else you should put on there besides rosin. Maybe you could invent the next generation of violin playing. Yeah. And on and on and on. I hope this helps you have good ideas. I hope you're going to have a lot of fun doing the science fair. Thank you. We'll see you next time.